the best short films for lifelong learning, recommended by teachers for teachers. This is Short Films Teachers Love, with your host, Richard Lee. My guest today I would very much call an expert in both film and education. She's the Admin Officer for Atom, that's the Australian Teachers of Media in Queensland, and holds the keys to all their social media accounts. A large chunk of her time is spent at the Queensland University of Technology, where she's a PhD candidate in the Creative Industries Faculty Exploring Co-Creative Media. To top it all off, she's also a mum, which I think gives her an added insight into consuming and creating content of relevance to the next generation. Elizabeth Heck, welcome to Short Films Teachers Love. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm always fascinated by PhD titles. So let me let me get that out of the way up front. You describe uh, in your bio that uh, your research is delving into the community uses of co-creative media as a useful means for investigating the role of creative expression in social learning systems. In addition to storytelling, your research also explores related co-creative media practices of citizen journalism and audio content creation. Wow, that sounds fantastic, something I'd love to get into. But what's the formal title and how do you explain it to, I don't know, people outside of me who say an engineer that you meet at a party? Okay. Well, in a nutshell, my, my basic title of my PhD is Social Learning and the Facilitation of Co-Creative Media Practice in Community Media Arts and Cultural Organisations. So I look at basically how people learn to tell uh, stories in these community organisations. So that's like community broadcasting, community arts and cultural institutions. Right, and okay, and it's, and it's the community aspect of you're dealing with groups in particular communities that are creating their own stories. Yes, yes. Now, we met in person, I think, at a, a co-creative media summit in Melbourne one year, and I think this idea is, is gathering a bit of momentum, the idea that as humans we're all storytellers and when we tell stories and when we create stories together something extra special happens. So what, what do you see are some of the real benefits of, of co-creating or collaborating in storytelling? Um, well, I'd say basically like learning. We learn so much through stories um, and it's one way to, to gel information together and, and people sort of learn when they're almost not aware that they are. They're sort of taking in the story and their emotional and, and personal perspective on an issue. And before you know it, you're sort of learning a lot about significant things really um, just from that personal point of view. So I think storytelling is just one of those amazing things that really, um, yeah, really gel information together and get people engaged and take an interest. Yeah. So what, what are some of the groups you're looking at in your, in your research? Um, well, I've looked at um, uh, radio storytelling, uh, which has been fantastic. That's, I've looked at All the Best, um, which is, um, operates out of uh, FBI in Sydney. Um, they're fantastic uh, storytelling program. Uh, and I've also looked at citizen journalism in at the State Library of Queensland at the Edges Digital Cultural Centre, um, and that's really fantastic. Just to look at um, how the community was engaged in telling stories, and um, I've also looked at um, digital storytelling uh, in thera- therapeutic uses uh, in regards to disaster recovery. Uh, so looking at uh, creative recovery uh, network and creative recovery uses of digital storytelling. So just, I guess, the different ways, like, although they're very, very diverse um, projects, just how they have a lot in common with the way in which they've learned to tell these stories. Yeah. And and so people from so many different backgrounds um, getting together to, to 
to tell those stories. You know, it's in many ways, as you say, you're being a journalist yourself as you go into these places, aren't you? You'd be asking them questions, and you want to, you know, you've been surprised along the way along the way by some of the stories you've encountered. Yeah, yeah, we've had lots of wonderful stories actually, and um, I found each of my case studies really exciting. Just the innovation and the creativity, and and also the generosity of of what people are learning when they learn to tell stories and what they've learned from their communities and how they in turn have learned to tell these stories. And that's been really, um, really uh, interesting and really uh, fascinating to learn myself. I was thinking about the whole, you know, the co-creative and the collaborative stuff. I, I just want to break this term down a bit more because I think, you know, we're at this amazing time in history when all the mass media forms have been broken down, when, you know, something like a film or a TV program, which used to take a whole team of people, you know, of experts to create something so that we could see it on our screen, it's suddenly something that we could do on our own entirely from start to finish, you know, even in the privacy of our own room. And, and in fact, the three films that you've chosen, which we'll get to shortly, um, are, I think, what we both call our personal narratives. So, you know, what's happening here? Are we actually more or, or less collaborative in our visual storytelling? And it's not a trick question, but it just occurred to me the paradox of, you know, going from sort of teams of people working together to create stories, to create a product on screen, is now a lot more personal and, and intimate and individual in a way. There is some strange paradox, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's interesting, I think, because the interesting thing is, is such co-creative media and digital storytelling in particular has been around since the 1990s and sort of what made it co-creative was the sense of um, organisation teaching people to amplify their voices from that was typically unheard of in mainstream or top-down media. So although they're personal stories, they're in actual fact um, or what they call bottom-up storytelling. So it's not that industrialised model of of people telling other people's stories, it's people themselves telling their own stories, their own voice, their amplification, and they do that in sort of community contexts. Um, so they've, this is, I guess, where all that learning comes across, where these organisations are helping people to facilitate these personal stories. So it's collaborative in the sense that, um, yeah, it's a facilitated practice and I guess that... Uh, how else would I explain it? Well, it's like the community encourages the individual almost, isn't it? As you say, it's a bottom-up approach to, to storytelling. Yeah, it's individual, but it's also it is about sharing as well, I think, because people are sharing their stories with others. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting sort of um, perspective, I guess, that one, yeah. Yeah, um, and it's not all... Um, Study and writing for you, obviously, is it? And you mentioned going out to groups, but you'd be involved, I suppose, with the uni, with you know, with lecturing, with running workshops. Can you tell me about some of those more, you know, hands-on aspects of your work? Oh, okay. We go out um, as part of the um, the faculty to go out as student ambassadors to go into different schools and to let them know about the opportunities that university can have for them. And in the process, we introduce them to small snippets of. Um, like digital media and so forth. And I've gone out and done workshops on digital storytelling, so teaching students in these workshops how to tell their stories. So it's sort of like visit for a day or so and do these workshops and then um, put it within the wider curriculum that the teachers are, are working with, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's teachers, so you're, you're working with the teachers and the classes themselves. So it's secondary level or what sort of level? Um, oh, from primary to secondary, um, we've sort of done a great, from grade six to 12 mainly. Mm. And equipment-wise, are they using, you know, like iPads or cameras or what sort of, what sort of technology? 
Yeah, we've used sort of a mixture of things. We've just um, we've used like cameras and laptops, and then we've also used iPads. And iPads have actually been the most successful, really, because uh, particularly with a tight timeline as well, because we've got sort of short workshops. Um, and that's just been really good because I think just the accessibility of the iPad and iMovie, and because that's another thing about about digital storytelling in particular, is the accessibility of the technology. They're not having to learn some complicated editing system to put it together because the emphasis is on the story not the technology. Mm-hmm. Let me also just unpack this word digital storytelling, which we, we both keep using, and you know, and it has been around a while. In fact, I think I first came across it when I was doing some work for the Australian Centre of the Moving Image in Melbourne, where, you know, we ran digital storytelling workshops to different groups, um, including general public groups, and, and I loved it. You know, it was a real... Uh, it, w- it was really enjoyable seeing people going from, I think I've got a story that I want to share to, you know, the end of the workshop, having something to present on screen. It was really exciting. Um, I've got my own sort of, you know, rough, vague definition of a digital story, but what, how would you define a digital story and, and what do you think the big appeal about them is? Oh, well, digital storytelling sort of had its origins in the 1990s um, from the Centre of Digital Storytelling of all places, um, where it was all about um, going into communities and getting them to tell their stories. And digital was, I guess, that, that technology aspect because back in the 1990s, um, technology and media was less accessible and less affordable. Uh, so therefore, these workshops were created for people to come and tell their stories. So basically it's just an evolution of that over time where now it's just done with accessible technology such as uh, smartphones and iPads. Um, and amplifying marginalised voices is another thing. I guess that's that bottom-up idea of a voice is not typically heard in mainstream media. So it's, it's making storytelling accessible for everybody. Fantastic. Well, let's take a look at the the first of the three examples of digital stories or personal narratives. And the first one that you've chosen is called Q&A from StoryCorps. From a scale of 1 to 10, do you think your life would be different without animals? I think it would be an 8 without animals because they add so much pleasure to life. How else do you think your life would be different without them? I could do without things like cockroaches and snakes. Well, I'm okay with snakes as long as they're not venomous or like can constrict you or anything. Yeah, I'm not a big snake person. But cockroach is just the insect we love to hate. Yeah, it really is. Have you ever felt like life is hopeless? Um, when I was a teenager, I was very depressed. And I think that can be quite common with teenagers who think a lot, you know, and are perceptive. Am I like that? You were very much like that. To see really into the heart of a parent struggling and yet now also really seemingly comfortable in expressing anything that she wants to express with her son who has Asperger's. And I have to say, I was borderline tearing up on this one. You know, it's really moving, particularly the when he talked about his sister and how it seemed like everyone loved his sister more than him. And it, yeah, it's just beautifully done. Um, where did you come across this? Uh, well, I guess I've, I've come across it through my research and just through StoryCorps as one of the large digital storytelling organisations uh, in America and a, a significant contributor in the movement. And also when I have had to uh, present work for professional development or in classrooms, it's, it's quite an age-appropriate one and one that uh, students themselves, particularly upper primary and lower secondary, um, quite take to. I think it maybe it's the age group or relating to the to the child as such and just the, the relationship between the mother and son is just really engaging and I don't know there's something just really magic with the way that this interview 
plays out. It's just really lovely and the way it's done. And I think the animation just adds that, that extra layer to it and that extra sort of um, bit of narrative because in a sense it's just, it is an interview of about uh, about 10 questions, um, although a student told me no, it was seven, but uh, 10 questions roughly. I think that's what they he originally asked his mother. And just the story that comes out of that interview and you get this sense of this bond and this relationship and what he's sort of struggling with and the way his mother just answers him just so beautifully. She just knows to know these wonderful things that she says to him. And I just, yeah, it's just really like a lovely magic piece, I think. And and that sense too that it's that it is his him being empowered, you know, it's him asking the questions and being the you know being the interviewer, and you could almost sort of see him there with a pad, kind of going, "Next question," you know, it's sort of very, it's quite quite formal, but the questions are really deep, you know, he's really struggling to get what's this relationship with the, with my mum I have and how do you know, he's trying to understand her feelings so it's a real window into both of their their personalities I suppose yes. isn't it yeah. yeah and and you say about the animation you know it looks it looks really simple but it's very sophisticated it's very beautiful you know it's it's beautifully done so in some ways this is an example of a digital story that's that's got high production values you know it starts off on oh, this is going to be rubbish you know it's kind of a still couple of still frames but then all of a sudden it gets to the animation you go wow this is beautiful you know so how would you then recommend using this for teachers um, well, I use it mainly to talk about the idea of um, stories that can be told through an interview because um, typically personal story, like digital storytelling, can be um, about a 100-word uh, monologue, usually about something that's happened in your life and so forth, that uh, particular moment that's of interest. The difference with this technique is it's using interviews to tell a story. So it's one of those things where people, before they know it, they're just telling you so much because there's an engagement there and that dialogue um, so it's a different method of digital storytelling and also because of the animation, although it's professionally animated, um, you could have, like I talked to students, like, okay, well, we could have shown this as an interview and it still would have been engaging because the story is amazing. But these visual elements, like what further visual elements have we got? Um, particularly you'll see, like with the, even with the babies when they talk about Amy, like it's just almost imagining um, and adding that layer of their imagination to the story, whereas we wouldn't see that in the interview, even just hear it in the interview. So it's just sort of multiple layers. And the cockroach, you know, when when the mum says, you know, I don't like snakes and don't like cockroaches, and then you know the snake kind of nicks off, but then but then he has some sympathy with the cockroach, you know, and and the cockroach is kind of slinking off as he's talking about his own feelings of sort of less worthiness or, or whatever. So there's this added layer that's being built into that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, definitely. And that's why it's so clever because that's why I think not only as a, um, an introduction to documentaries but also like for critique tasks for students to look at, okay, this is, um, this is a, a short little film but look at how much meaning there is in it. And, it, and it's just taken from a, what is a seemingly um, simple interview. I actually wondered how they did create it. Like I, I think there's been a, a lot of... There's been a lot of layering to building that up to the the final piece that we see, which is different to the others we'll go on to. But but it looks like, you know, they've asked the the child to do an interview, they've recorded the interview, they've you know, there's there's a lot of steps I would say in in what seems like a really simple thing. All right, the second one that you've chosen is called Anosmia from Anna Barnes and Sarah Drake. My mum had a runny nose for an entire year once. Now this wasn't just your regular cold sniffle. This was a full-blown nose waterfall that cascaded down her face wherever she went. When she was driving, she'd put a towel on her lap to catch the drip. 
And when she'd wake up in the morning, there would be this wall of rock-hard tissues on her neck that had got soaked with the clear, salty liquid and then dried hard in the night. She went to the doctor and they said it was allergies, but spring passed and still with the drip. It took a full year for someone to realise that my mum had brain fluid coming out of her nose. This is from a series uh, called Radio with Pictures, and it's a great account of a personal struggle. Again, where did you, where did you find this in your research? Uh, well, I've actually had a chat to um, Gabe Clark, who was one of the co-creators of Radio with Pictures, because Radio with Pictures was a live broadcast at the Sydney Opera House in 2012. It was also on the community radio network and so it was that nice way of um, trying something new with visuals and radio so I think it was just so clever and so interesting to merge these two ideas particularly as it was um, on originally like a radio broadcast platform but then it was also live as well so it's just just the experimental nature of it and and the amazing stuff that came out of it and the stories as well and just again you're learning so much about something I even le- I learned a lot more about this than I had done if I'd read it online for example or, or heard from some medical resource just that personal connection to a condition made me learn a lot about it as well mm. yeah there's, there's the actual content of, of, of what we're talking about which is fascinating but um you you just reminded me of the i suppose what's what i found so fascinating about short films is that behind every short film is you know are all these different ways of producing it and you know you're talking about you know, radio with pictures. So, so we're coming at this from an entirely different angle this time. I thought, maybe I do have a superpower after all. <laughs> we're actually saying, here's a, here's a story, almost like the moth, you know, someone standing on a stage sharing a story. They've taken that and then they've done something that's digital story-like. They've actually created a personal narrative added some moving images it's not the professional standard of a of an animation like the first one but it is um nonetheless adding adding elements that are visual to something that's inherently an interesting story to listen to as well so that adds these a whole other dynamic to something that we could just you know if you're showing these three back to back you go oh those were three nice little stories but there's all these added things going on in the background that makes them quite different and land in different spots for us actually it's interesting that you mentioned that too about the animation because one thing that was they weren't allowed to do was they weren't allowed to animate it because of um particular broadcast restrictions and that in itself i think was interesting challenged creatively so how are they still going to show these wonderful things and almost create this sense of movement without movement so it was like um I think, yeah, with that idea of the comics um, and visual art pieces made that really, I don't know, thinking out of the box is what I like about, about radio pictures as well. Yeah, because the drawing, so the, the story was Anna Barnes and Sarah Drake drew the pictures. So do you know much about that, you know, how that collaboration happened? Um, well, as far as I know, like the collaborations were um, facilitated by the creators of Radio with Pictures or a lot of the collaborators, because it was one of several stories, or, or either those that had collaborated didn't already know each other. So um, there were variations of which these different different authors and or writers and illustrators collaborated. So, um, yeah, that's what I know about these particular ones. Just a, a matching service. I just said, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, <laughs> Come and meet and talk about it, yeah. Yeah, it was all about the, the creators identifying skills, I guess, and who would work well with who and, and, and already knew each other and so forth. So, yeah. All right, and the third and final digital story you've chosen or short film is called Christmas Island. 
Hi guys, I'm Dewi and I'd like to introduce you to my beloved hometown, Christmas Island. The first thing you need to know about living on Christmas Island is that you become immersed in all the different cultures that have evolved here in isolation for the last 110 years. The majority of the island is of Chinese descent, but there are many Malay and European Australians too. It's a, a digital story from uh, the Haywire program, which started in 1998. Uh, my colleague Sasha Mackay did a lot of uh, research into Haywire um, as, as her PhD. And I think then having to have age-appropriate digital stories in the classroom led me to look at Haywire then as a resource for classroom presentations of personal stories. And Haywire's got um, a beautiful collection of stories um, that's... Yeah, it's been going for many, many years and from people, uh, rural and regional Australians from um, all over the country and the diversity of the stories is fantastic. If you go into the Hawaii website, you can see so many different stories, different types of stories and just, again, that sharing about part of the country, uh, part of, um, yeah, regional and rural Australia, uh, what people are doing and, again, um, I guess from a classroom point of view, learning about other, other students, other kids uh, around the country and what they do. And the reason I like this particular one as an example to show students is because of the multiple layers um, in which uh, Dewey tells the story. Uh, she shows us pictures, she's got some video, and she's got some drawings. So we learn a lot about her, even on a textual layer, as well as, as the um, storytelling. So we learn that she's a drawer, we learn um, about her family's uh, background, we learn where she lives. And as I've discussed with students too, um, when we've looked at, at stories like this, it's like, well, what, what did you learn about this that would be different to, if you'd seen this or read this on the internet? What more did you learn about Christmas Island and, and the people that live there and this particular person that lives there? And they're going, oh, you know, before they know it, they're learning so much more than they would have done uh, just reading a list of facts. And, and Christmas Island, you know, certainly for us in Australia, it's the we see it often in the news as one of these terrible places where all the asylum seekers are being sent and, you know, there's, there's, it's all caught up in the politics of that. So it gives us this lovely, intimate, sort of on-the-ground perspective of a place that we actually don't know that much about, you know. Um and the you know the the thing that I pick up too was the the way that she adds some sound effects for the sort of extra layer of realism, and yeah, and and like you said too, it uses oh, it, compared with the other two that we've talked about, you know, the first one as a professional animation, the second one is more sort of comic like stills. This one, to me, it's almost like a mash. You know, it's just a collection of whatever she could find and just chucked together, and yet it's really successfully done, you know, and it, and it was at one, you know, the award or whatever. Why, why do you think it is so, why do you think it works so well? Because it does, doesn't it? It works. I think, I think the eclectic nature of it, and the different types of media that she uses, like the pictures just tell us a bit more about her again. Like, okay, we know that she's good at drawing, for example. So um, it seems to work because it, it shows us a different side and it comes different phases of the story that she's telling. So despite it being so distinct and different in each section, I don't know, the story just naturally sort of flows to that. So it just seems to be a nice um, mesh of, of uh, vision and, and story and words, I suppose. So Haywire um, is a... Uh, emerged from ABC, which is the National Australian Broadcaster. The ABC are doing so many great things. You know, I just sometimes wonder how, you know, commercially people can compete with the ABC. <laughs> um, in you know, but but also you know that's the sort of the downside. But the upside is just 
you know, there is a lot of experimentation that goes on the ABC that it's, I think it's really inspiring to, to see some of these things emerge and continue, as you say, yeah. The thing is, too, like a lot of the experimentation with the storytelling also has come out a large now the community broadcast network and community media as well, which is really, really interesting. And that's one thing I actually learned from my... Um, and so in my research, too, is all this incredible stuff happening via community broadcasting through um, through all the best and radio with pictures as well. And just the innovation um, and community-based media. The um, the first one was StoryCorps. So I didn't know about that until you shared it with me. And that's <clears throat> I think that's a big NPR. So there's a lot of, you know, in America, there's a lot of this kind of movement as well. In, in your research, what, what are some of the other big names that have come up around the world? Well, I guess one of the biggest ones a lot of people know about is, is This American Life. Yes. And The Moth and so forth. They're, they're really um, big ones. Um, out of uh, the UK... Um, Public broadcasting was with Capture Wales and the BBC. That was in the um, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, yeah, and basically uh, in Australia through community broadcasting, through um, Like All the Best, they have fantastic examples of, of personal storytelling. Um, yeah, and StoryCorps, which is like, what he like found in 2003, and that was just using sort of um, they go around the country in their van and interview people, and, and that's how they get these fantastic stories. They have little booths or something too, don't they? People kind of roll up and just record themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's really fascinating, and how people are quite willing and open to tell their stories, and it's um, it's a fantastic way to just. Um, yeah, as I say, amplify those voices that you typically wouldn't hear and um, for those that are highlighted and, and get um, some animation with them as well, just giving them that extra extra um, platform again, which is really lovely. Mm. Well, I always like to finish by asking this question. What What is your earliest uh, moving image memory? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I still remember, I guess, my parents... When we went and got, when they brought home a colour television, I don't know. It's very strange. I just remember um, in the in the lounge room one day watching black and white, and the next day watching colour. I think I must. That's a very abstract memory, but that's what my memories are of of my first moving image was just that um, that transition between technologies. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out and sharing three short films and three digital stories that you love. Thank you for interviewing me. It's been, yeah, really good. Find all the links to this episode on SoundCloud. Join us next week on YouTube for the edited highlights of this conversation.